0: Welcome back to Howl History. I'm here with Chad Cox once again. I am Derek Harper. No, not that Derek Harper, but the one and only Derek Harper in Lakeville, Minnesota. So thanks for joining us once again. Chad, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm not too bad. Coming back to some historical stuff for the Timberwolves, going back to 1989, which uh, at this point in the 2020-2021 season is a refreshing change of pace, if I must say so myself.
1: Yeah, it's time to party like it's 1989.
0: Yeah, we're uh, sending it back last time we left. You know, we were just closing up with the expansion draft and the rookie draft in 1989. Uh, Chad, why don't you give us a rundown of who the the Wolves actually selected in the expansion draft and who's, who's standing on the roster at the moment.
1: So we selected Rick Mahorn, Ty Corbin, Steve Johnson, Brad Lohaus, David Rivers, Mark Davis, Scott Roth, Shelton Jones, Eric White, Maurice Martin, and Gunther Benke out of Germany.
0: Perfect. We have 11 roster spots filled with that expansion draft.
1: Only four of them ever materialized. Hey, but...
0: you're getting ahead of us, Chad. <laughs> Cut it out. Spoiler alert. But anyway. Spoiler you got... alert.
1: If you, if you don't know who Gunther Benke is.
0: <laughs> you will you will in a few minutes. You you, must, you still might not. You'll forget it three <laughs> seconds after we bring him up. So they got 11, 11 roster spots filled. Uh, with the expansion draft. They they head into the rookie draft just a, about a week later. They select three players in that rookie draft. They got one second-round draft pick for uh, deciding not to take a player that Milwaukee wanted to keep. So they take Jerome Poo Richardson, number 10, uh, out of uh, UCLA. Gary Leonard comes in, in the with their first pick in the second round from Illinois, and they close it out with Doug West, uh, who a lot of us are still very familiar with uh, in the second round as well out of Villanova. Chad, what was your favorite thing about Pooh Richardson?
1: Um, well, as a what ten-year-old, I was, or not even was I, twelve-year-old. Um, it was the name Pooh, mm-hmm. like the nickname. It gets you as a kid. Um, I think we talked a little bit about last last time, but as a Homer, you just like all your hopes and dreams are in that guy. It doesn't matter who the pick actually would have been. It was immediately giving me my favorite player.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, I saw an article too about how like each. Expansion team over that time because there were four of them had that first draft pick that just meant something to their franchise forever. You know, it was Rex Chapman or it was Ronnie Sykley or Nick Anderson and Pooh was ours. He's you know he's always going to be the first draft pick.
1: Right, right, yeah, and you know I I really liked him as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, but he was you know fun to watch. He's you know he's a scorer. He was a good passer. He like so he was a he's a big numbers guy. I mean put up a lot of assists, scored a lot. I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't that refined as a basketball fan at 12 years old. Right. So I don't know how good of a defensive player he was. Although You didn't understand
0: looking... advanced stats at 12 years old in 1989.
1: Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if that existed in 1989, <laughs> if they had advanced stats. But I do know, reading, like doing some research on him, you know, for this episode and stuff that, you know, a lot of people kind of talked up his defense, that he was actually a pretty solid defensive mm-hmm. player. It was one of the reasons that, you know, Muscleman liked him. Um, he wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't his his number one skill set, but he, he could play a little bit of defense as well. Yeah, he, um, was,
0: he was a good distributor. He was kind of a, just a lead ball handler more so than a flashy scorer. Right, right. So, so they came in, and there were probably four point guards in that draft that people had been looking at. The consensus might have placed Pooh third at best out of those four um, behind Tim Hardaway, Mookie Blalock, and possibly even B.J. B.J. Armstrong. Um, the Wolves, which becomes a trend over their history, do not select the consensus best player at that point, and they go with a little bit of a surprise by taking Pooh because Musselman, like we talked about, really wanted um, somebody who is solid with the ball, somebody who didn't have to be a superstar, but could just be a solid starter on his team and just make sure that the team got in the right sets and put other guys in the right spots. So uh, that's where we're starting out with Pooh. Uh, he's 23 years old at the time, from Philadelphia originally. He was a uh, nicknamed Philadelphia's Prince of the Playgrounds in one article that I read. Um, played on the the Sunny Hill in the Sunny Hill leagues out in Philadelphia. Which, funny story, Sunny Hill was a, just a kind of a legend in Philadelphia, he was in the Philadelphia Basketball Hall of Fame and um, just a, a really well known guy out there. And when I worked for the the 76ers for a few years, I got to go on on a trip to Europe with the team, and Sunny came with. And I didn't know him that well, you know. I just, but I just kind of worked for the staff. So we got to an airport in Germany, and we were just kind of waiting to to go to our next stop. And um, he needed to do a radio interview back in Philadelphia with WIP, and he just needed to call in, and he wouldn't use his own phone, and he asked me if he could use my phone. So I had to later expense an $87 phone bill for one Jeez. international phone call that he made to do a radio interview. So a little bit of history, uh, personal history there with Sunny Hill, but... But yeah, Pooh was a big name out in Philadelphia. They, you know, they t- took him around the town after he got drafted, and everybody knew his name. That he'll Pooh, and he, he's not Jerome, he's not Richardson. He was just Pooh everywhere. And uh, I was really hoping, in doing some of my research, that his nickname was just Hoop backwards because of how big of a, a basketball player he was. But no, nope, it was just because he was a chubby baby and he looked like uh, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the so,
1: Pooh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, Musselman wanted Tim Hardaway. That's true. Um, originally, but you know, his good friend Don Nelson. Who was uh, working for the Golden State Warriors at the time? Sort of, he kind of nudged him along, saying, "Well, you might not want to take Tim Hardaway. He's got some chronic knee issues, and I, I would, I would avoid him." And Musselman swore up and down to McKinney and Stein, everybody else in the Wolves front office, that Nelly wouldn't lie to him. And then, <laughs> lo and behold, we take Pooh Richardson, and a couple of picks later, Nelly would take Tim Hardaway. So that's
0: what you get for trusting that pothead.
1: <laughs> you get, they duped us from the get-go right and obviously never. our our history with trades with golden state continue to up until 2020 when we trade wiggins for d'angelo russell so tbd
0: on that one tbd
1: yeah. hopefully we we get him back
0: yep that's not on poo he actually told his mom when he was 10 that he wanted to move to minnesota because he liked the vikings so no matter how things turned out he's he's got that going for him one of us
1: yeah, I just wonder how many of those stories are planted after guys get drafted here because yeah, all the time. Yeah, that
0: happens all the time. I feel like it's, I've read that six so, or seven times though. It's
1: yeah, it yeah. always happens. Mm-hmm. It's like come on. In nineteen eighty nine, the only it's like I think Chris Rock said it best. The only people anybody outside of Minnesota knew from Minnesota was Prince and Kirby Puckett. Yeah. <laughs> there was no Vikings in nineteen eighty nine mm-hmm. that uh that you were I, yeah, loving at just, the time. No.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, even if you bring it back, you know, 13 years to 76, there's still not a lot of Vikings going on at that point. That's a little bit after their run. So yeah, Fran
1: was probably still there as an AGN or I was before I was born. So nobody in Philadelphia
0: is reaching out to watch the Vikings. though. that doesn't make any sense.
1: No. So,
0: but yeah. So anyway, Pooh's taken 10th overall out of UCLA. He's UCLA's all time assist leader at 833 total assists at that time. Uh Musselman said, you look at the guards, Pooh gets into the offense. He's the best three point shooter, he's the best lateral movement defensively. Hardaway may be a better shooter, Hardaway gets in the paint better. But as a true point guard, Pooh's the best. He likes to lead. So um after the draft, Musselman was talking him up. Of course he wasn't going to say, i, I like this other guy better, but uh, that those are the things that they were looking for out of Pooh. The defensive abilities and then the uh the ability to set up an offense and just kind of be a spot up shooter, which nobody in the league really was at the time and you can't take anything away from tim hardaway for what he ended up being but out of the scouting reports i think they trusted poo to be a good shooter so um uh, so then like i said they move on to gary leonard uh with their second uh, pick in the draft seven foot center 240 pounds he was a part-time starter in illinois um before uh setting a team record for 37 37 games started as a senior averaged 10.4 points 5.5 rebounds and shot about 60 percent from the floor so um a legit player coming in with some size. They had lots of questions about his desire and Musselman said, I'll mold him. I'll make him or break him. So I will a, break you. Yeah. Ro- ro- a rocky start, if you will, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that, that's sort of the MO for seven footers for Minnesota for a really long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the just guys kind of, that yeah. just lack motivation, sort of sleepy, you know, whether it's Felton Spencer, Luke yeah. Longley, all the way down, Paul Grant,
0: soft if you will yeah yeah but anyway so then doug west is their final rookie draft rookie pick uh 6'6 200 pound wing out of uh villanova Villanova. yep said to have a 6'10 wingspan at the time so uh height and wingspan similar to ant at the time but nowhere near the the girth that ant is throwing around out there um but was a four-year starter at villanova finished as their third all-time leading scorer uh some projected him as a first rounder so a lot like gary leonard he The Wolves kind of got a deal or a steal of a deal in him. Atlanta had tried to trade up 11 spots to get him, but the Wolves said no. Um, He had averaged over 18 points per game for Villanova, and Musselman said playing at Villanova, he's used to playing a disciplined style of ball. He'll be a much better player in the pros. And then, uh, which is kind of contradictory to what Wes said about himself. He said, I know I have to play under control because I have a tendency to play crazy, really out of control. That's something I'm working on. So... (laughs) Musselman either was talking him up and just trying to come up with a good quote and he hadn't watched that much about him or they saw different things because...
1: Well, and they had to have seen him. I mean, he went to the Elite Eight yeah. that year um, as sort of the best player on that team. And it kind of fits that M.O. of the guys that... Musselman, Musselman definitely targets winners, guys that have won at different levels, whether it be college, CBA, wherever. Um, and, you know, West certainly filled all of those boxes so... Interesting comments, but you know I can't imagine he didn't watch the March yeah. Madness tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and and they beat you know they upset some pretty big teams. They upset number three Illinois and then I believe number two Kentucky that year. Um, so they were sort of the Cinderella team.
0: Well, and they were really relying on him too because they did not have a lot of uh, off guards on that roster. So they kind of needed him to come to play a role. He got hernia surgery in the off season, so he wasn't available for most of. Uh, the off-season camps, or to come in right away, or even to sign his contract be- a long time before training camp. But uh, they put a lot of hope into him to actually step into and play a role right away. So, um, and chad we uh we had been talking in a few episodes ago about the difference between McKinney and Musselman, and who was going to be the lead decision maker, because it kind of felt like they were kind of at a equal grounds there within the, the franchise. And it turns out through a lot of this research that I've been doing that Bob Stein, the team president, marv Wolfenson's son-in-law, was the, the decision maker. That and that's he was the one quoted all the time for setting down the rules, doing the negotiation. He was, you know, and he was kind of really playing that that pobo role that we're used to now, just kind of the you know over everybody else and taking the input from both McKinney and Musselman. So uh, that that mystery is solved a little bit for me through through this research.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, being that he's the son-in-law, he's got experience as an agent and working in the league. So mm-hmm. totally makes sense.
0: Yeah, he was a an agent for multiple NBA players before he, he started working with the Wolves. He, you know, Randy Brewer and even uh, our very own Jim Peterson, who was at the time with the Sacramento Kings, was one of his clients. And Peterson said, uh, his job titles change, but the way he does business won't change. He's probably the most ethical person I know. Agents will probably feel he'll be more sympathetic to what they go through, but he'll be tough when he needs to be. So uh, Peterson spoke highly of him, very highly at the time. So very interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And,
1: you know, things I saw, I mean, he seems like he was an out of the box thinker as well. It's, you know, we'll get into, I mean, they, some of the the stuff he did from a business standpoint was just interesting how, like he didn't look at things the, the typical way just because it was, uh, you know, he comes from the basketball world. He was, he was looking for the best talent regardless of where they it came from.
0: Mm-hmm. And Stein, so Stein sets a few rules and he's interviewed early on in the free agency process or in the off season and he has a few rules for how he wants to go about things and they are no holding out get your player to camp on time if we say we won't do something that doesn't mean we might do it later it means we won't do it and you can't call the owners to go around me to make to get deals done so those are his three rules as a as the head lead decision maker for the Minnesota Timberwolves and we'll see like a few of them actually uh get tested here a little bit as we walk through this very first off season for for our favorite team yeah, it, it, it's uh, there's some rough waters ahead. <laughs> no, no joke, man. I would, thought this was going to be kind of smooth sailing here, and I, you know, I knew a couple of the things and some of the bigger stories that had come out. But every, it seemed like every week there was a new uh, something in the paper that just kind of blew up for this team right away.
1: Yeah, nothing really came easy. I mean, yeah, we all we all know the Brick Mahorn story mm-hmm. um, because you know, he was the biggest name. But yeah, literally, I. I mean, nobody of consequence really came easy. Either the player had to fight and claw to get in onto an NBA team, or the team had to fight and claw to
0: get them to sign a contract. Yeah, to even show up in the first place, right? Right. All right, so we're moving past the draft, and uh, the Wolves said they spent about 68 minutes resting after the NBA draft before starting work on free agents, um, which you have to do if you're an expansion team. You don't have any reputation yet, and you definitely don't have a roster that's going to lure any big names, but... They wanted to get out there and get their get their uh, pitches in early. Um, it's not a great free agent class at the time. Some of the, the big names are Dudley Bradley or Craig Hodges, Darnell Valentine. Sidney Moncrief is out there. Gerald Henderson, not the Gerald Henderson of the Charlotte Bobcats, but the older Gerald Henderson. Um, Sedale Threat is a free agent. But no, no, you know, no, no headliners are free agents. And that's not to... Not a, not a huge surprise because free agency is a relatively new concept in the NBA at this time, but there was no the decision in 1989. The, no, the, nobody was going on ESPN to announce that they were going to take their talents to any certain city. But um, the, the headliners, the, the two big names were kind of Trent Tucker and Tony Campbell, both of which had ties back to either Minnesota or Bill Musselman at the time. So Trent Tucker obviously played for the Gophers. Um, he was coming from the Knicks. He was known as a, a big fan. Three point threat, uh, one of the best shooters in the league. The Knicks had actually set the record, uh, the NBA record, the previous year for three pointers taken, made, and missed in a season. So they were, I went, you know, they're not the Golden State Warriors because the entire league has changed, but at least in comparison with the rest of the, the league, they were they were shooting that, that shot more often. And uh, Trent Tucker was one of their main culprits there. Um, and then Tony Campbell, who was well known kind of because of his ability to step in uh, as an injury replacement in the NBA finals for the Lakers. He was the backup guard to both Magic uh, Johnson and Byron Scott, and he uh, stepped in admirably when they both got injured. So they were the two big names, and uh, Tony Campbell actually had history with Musselman playing for the Albany Patroons in the CBA as well. So um, so two guys that we had a, a contact with and were rumored to be targeting right away.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Campbell was sort of that up-and-coming guy. I mean, it was, I don't know if they preferred Tucker or if they preferred Campbell. I'd, I i don't know that we'll ever know without, you know, Musselman's gone and, you know, if we'll ever know the, who they actually wanted most. But mm-hmm. Campbell seemed to be the most prudent pick for a brand-new franchise because he was still relatively young. He, you know, obviously would turn out to you know, sort of blossom with this team, um, but he was, We you need it with a team with very little experience, you need a guy who can just get a bucket, and that was Tony Campbell. Yeah, I team. mean,
0: he was known as a professional scorer. I mean, even Sidney Lowe at one point said, he feels he's a great player, and he feels if he gets the ball in the right position, he can't be stopped. Um, so, scoring was kind of what he was known for. Um, he did get... Yeah, and correct. they
1: signed him to be the go to guy for this team. You know, we had no real prolific scorers. The the next best scorer at this point is Pooh Richardson and he's a rookie. So, mm-hmm. you know, Musselman is a guy that's going to value um experience and veteran, you know, know-how. And so Tony Campbell, I mean it makes sense that he's gonna be your go to guy, assuming, you know, unless Rick Mahorn shows up or whatever. But even if with Mahorn he's more of a defensive guy, Tony Campbell is gonna be your your one a option
0: yeah so at this point they have mahorn and johnson and corbin you know all you know, small forward power forward center uh coming in to kind of provide some size and some some weight to throw around but they were all kind of hustle guys they were just big bodies and they were known for rebounding and, and just being kind of uh physical so like you said they needed scoring uh tony campbell comes in as a six 250 pound wing uh, he had played shooting guard small forward and power forward in his time in the league uh son of moes and marva campbell uh, he was only 7 when his when his mom decided to move him and 3 of his 4 siblings out of his father's house the, the oldest stayed with his dad um, but she you know she ended up working 3 jobs cuz money was tight and trying to make it the, you know their way He ended up going to college at ohio state his freshman year he only played 55 total minutes that he wanted to to transfer out um, but he was actually going to stay
1: and he was actually going to go to iona okay um, to play for jim Balvano, but valvano ended up transfer or taking the job at North Carolina State and Campbell decided to go to Ohio State and said it, it seems like I, I read interviews with Tony Campbell talking about his decision and it seems like he really spent a lot of time laboring over that college decision mm-hmm. he had um, mentors that would tell him that you know make sure you choose a, a a program that's right for your game and he really took that to heart and really spent a lot of time trying to figure out where that would be yeah
0: yeah So, like I said, it must have made it especially hard when I said he only played 55 total minutes that freshman year. He he was really interested in transferring and getting out of that system because he didn't feel like he was going to be utilized. But his mom convinced him to stay. He then averaged, you know, almost 13 points a game as a sophomore. He averaged 19 as a junior. And he was the Big Ten Player of the Year, averaging 18.6 points per game as a senior. So he gets drafted by Detroit 20th overall in the first round in 1984. Um, He was there for a few years. He signed with the Bullets in 87 um, as a free agent, but unfortunately he was waived before the season started. And then that's where he meets up with uh, Bill Musselman with the Albany Patroons. And Musselman told him that he called uh, Jack McCloskey, the GM of the Pistons at the time, and asked, what, you know, what he knew about Campbell and why he was in the CBA. And McCloskey told him it's because of his defensive ability. He doesn't tr- put in the effort on defense. And Musselman called him out in the second practice with the Patroons and said, you know why you're here? It's because of your defense. And if you don't play defense here, you're not going to play for me either. <laughs> so he really took that to heart. He uh, he really committed to not only defense, but also just being the best player. He averaged 23.7 points for the Patroons uh, that year, and he shot almost 65% from the floor. Um, he didn't actually end up finishing the season because he got called up to the NBA uh, by the, with the Lakers and he averaged 11 points per game over the final 13 games of that, that regular season. So that would have been 87, 88 uh, at that point.
1: And he, he had kind of an interesting run of, of head coaches. Cause he got to play for Chuck Daly mm-hmm. and then Pat Riley and then Bill Musselman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, he has like two hall of famers and, and, then, and Bill Musselman. And the <laughs> interesting thing is somebody asked him, you know, because he coached uh, prep school um, and more recently. I think he left there maybe five, ten years ago. But they asked him where, who his biggest coaching influences were. And those are the three coaches he listed off. And he kind of labeled Bill Musselman as the X's and O's guy out of those three, which okay. is, I was sort of shocked to, to hear. N- not because I don't think Musselman was an X's and O's guy, but you're talking two Two of the most, leg- I mean, if there's a Mount Rushmore of coach,es Riley and Daly are both on it, you know. Yeah. So, just interesting.
0: I guess I would have hesitated to have said Daly because of the strength of the history of coaching in the NBA. I mean, I, he coached the Dream Team though, and he got two finals with the Pistons, so or two championships with the Pistons, so he's and, definitely got the resume.
1: He wrote the Jordan rules.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I believe Sam Smith wrote the Jordan well, rules.
1: Well, he actually created the. The Jordan rule. yes Sam's i'm, be, be, I'm to... being snarky here chad
0: <laughs> so so okay so tony campbell's with the lakers um he's with them in 88 89 for a full season he plays 63 games he only starts two and he averages 6.2 points and 2.1 rebounds but uh his per 36 numbers if he had been you know given 36 minutes a game were almost 18 points six rebounds two assists and 1.7 steals and um at this point he's looking to me and just maybe it's a relevancy thing. Maybe it's just because of who I've been watching recently, but he reminds me a lot of Malik Beasley and the position that he was in with, uh, with Denver before he came to Minnesota, just having the talent, but not having the minutes being stuck behind a log jam of players who had kind of built a rep- name and reputation. We're already getting minutes. Yeah. So on
1: really good teams. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And his closest friend on that Laker team was um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So kind of, he had some cool quotes about Kareem, you know, and just how philosophical Kareem was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he said they always sat together, whether it was on the plane or the bus or whatever, just, they always were really close.
0: Yeah. So, you know, he plays with the Lakers that year, they get to the finals, both Magic and Byron Scott get injured. Like we mentioned earlier, he scores in double figures three times, including 15 and in just 21 minutes in game two. And he really kind of makes his na- a name for himself for a guy that if he's given more minutes, he could, he could kind of blossom on another team and that's what kind of what he comes into free agency looking for he uh he's not looking for to leave the lakers necessarily he just says whoever's going to give me 25 minutes to guarantee me 25 minutes a game that's who i'm going to be interested in playing with so um the wolves reach out to both campbell and tucker right away as well as craig hodges who ends up signing with the chicago bulls later so he's not really a he doesn't isn't mentioned after this point but um the wolves meet with campbell on july 9th and it's it's funny because at this point there's they're not able to find any common ground and the wolves come out and basically say you know what that didn't work out we're going to move on and campbell's agent comes out and he's just super surprised like, i don't know was it take it or leave a deal uh, tony was optimistic when he when he left and impressed by the visit but bob signed at this point is just kind of like you know what didn't work out sorry and he's uh, already winning winning uh, favors from the agents out there in the league and <laughs> making a good impression but and did you see anything where – did Tony have a lot of teams that he was meeting with? You know what? All I heard about were the, the Wolves and the Lakers. And I think that was largely because of his relationship from having been on the Lakers and then his relationship with Musselman were the two driving factors for who he was he got, talking with.
1: He ended up – the deal he got ended up being fairly good size for mm-hmm. that era. You know, four years, $2.9 So it just seems like either the Wolves were betting against themselves or he must have had a couple other suitors.
0: I, I didn't see any either, but yeah.
1: yeah, I don't know if it's just because it's, you know, 30 years ago trying to find that, but I was just curious if you, if you saw anything in your research.
0: No, just the two. So they were often mentioned and I'm sure there were others that just maybe weren't as public, especially in the Star Tribune because it wasn't as, you know, universal. The NBA wasn't right. as big back then as it is now and there's no ESPN.com to jump on to see what Woj is reporting, but um but yeah i saw those two um so at at this point we're at july 12th and it's just kind of done their only big free agent target out there is is kind of waving in the wind and there's no no real steam there um so i don't know you know how people here felt at the time but it just kind of wasn't seeming too optimistic that they were going to bring in a score and i'm not sure how this roster looks if you don't figure that out especially with the fact that as we mentioned doug west then has hernia surgery keeping him out for uh, all the off-season camps in the upcoming midwest review in san antonio um, and Pooh still hasn't signed at this point either. Uh, right.
1: And D- Doug West was really a little bit of a project. I mean, he wasn't, obviously, if he was our second, second round pick, they weren't expecting him to come in and score 20 a game, you know, from mm-hmm. the get go either. So Pooh, maybe they might've had more higher aspirations for Pooh that initial season. But um, I don't think Doug West was somebody they were, I'm sure that I, I think they were excited to have him where they picked him, but they weren't. Penciling him in as the uh the go to guy on offense.
0: No, absolutely not. So they they've got a little bit of work left to do on this roster. They've got the expansion draft guys that we mentioned. They they have yet to sign any of their rookie uh, draft picks. Um, I think they're still expecting them to come, but that even gets uh, fuzzy a little bit later. So they the first thing they really reach out for is to try to find a, a solid either backup or starting point guard so that they can bring Pooh along a little bit slowly and. They reached out to a, a Bill Musselman disciple in Sidney Lowe. Uh, Lowe, who had played with North Carolina State under Jim Valvano, won the NCAA championship over Patrick Ewing in Georgetown in 83. He had been on a, three of Musselman's four championship teams in the CBA, including with uh, the Albany Patroons that final year. So uh, just a really, really great guy that Musselman knew he said, "I don't care where I go. If I go to Timbuktu, I'm taking Sydney with me." And he had said that even before he uh, took the the Timberwolves' job. So Sydney was a little, actually, a little surprised when they took Pooh Richardson with their first pick because he didn't think they would need a point guard if he was going to go sign with the team. But um, he had been with Charlotte the year before; he was a restricted free agent, and he signed uh, an offer sheet with the Wolves on July twentieth. And Charlotte had about fifteen days to match that guy.
1: Yeah, and I, I've saw lots of quotes that Moss had on Sydney as well. You we know, where he talked about his. Uh, grasp of the game, and that he he said, you know, I've not met anybody with the basketball mind that Sidney Lowe has. Um, So he, the respect was definitely through the roof there. Because Muscleman didn't rave over guys like that. Mm -hmm. You know, he might have, he might have sold the media on guys, you know, like the the comments about Doug West and and what have you. But, you know, those ones were like, yeah, I mean, he was definitely really feeling that
0: Sidney Lowe was his guy out of was anybody you know through through this roster. Anybody he was with in the CBA, if you had to name one guy, that was his guy. It was it was Sidney Lowe, and um, so he signs that that offer sheet. Like I said, at this point, you know they're hoping that he's allowed to come. Charlotte is is leaning towards letting him go, but nothing's confirmed yet. Uh, meanwhile, they're holding offseason training camps, uh, veteran training camps, free agency tryouts. Um, we mentioned that a little bit in our last historical episode, but some of the guys that made it through uh, their first two training camps and got invited to their third were Sam Mitchell, Todd Murphy, Donald Royal, Mike Whitmarsh, Connor Henry, and Jim Thomas. Um, so and they all end up being taken from that camp to go to the Midwest Review in San Antonio, which was kind of just a uh, a four team it's like the summer league that they have now, like the Orlando summer league or the Vegas summer league that they, they went and they got a chance for rookies and undrafted free agents to come and play a few games against each other and really get to see where they're going. And that was where really the, the actual first games that the Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves ever played, where it was this midrash review, which and the big headliner there was since it was in 89 was David Robinson coming in two years after he'd been drafted uh, as for his rookie season. Cause he'd gone to the, the Navy for two years. So um, they went down there yeah. and played him in their first game.
1: Mr. Robinson, he was the he was the guy that got me to become a basketball fan. Yeah, it was even more so than Jordan or anything. For whatever reason, I just had this affection for David Robinson. It might have been because the Wolves were coming along, Mm -hmm. and Robinson was yeah, and Robinson was coming to the league. So I just you know, and I'm I've always been sort of the anti, you know, popular team. So. Mm I did like the Bulls because it was before they won a title. So I, I did start liking them. Um, and once the Bulls won a title, I was off their bandwagon. So I, I'm just that kind of guy. I hate the Yankees. I hate the Lakers. Like, I hate, yeah. you know, the, the front running,
0: running teams. Um, but David Robinson was my guy. Yeah, the Bulls were my only team like that. Like, I hated Duke, hated the Lakers, hated the Yankees. But the Bulls, I was just all in on the Bulls. And maybe it was because of 10 when they were, you know, I was getting sure. into them. But what I, I was
1: all about the Bulls when they beat Detroit and then when they played the Lakers, which because I don't, I didn't have any, I wasn't old enough to have any of the experience of the Lakers being so good for all those years. I was a magic fan. I was a Lakers fan. You know, I loved the Lakers. And um, so when the Lakers and bulls met in the finals, I wanted the Lakers to win. I, I never went back to, rooting for the bulls then it was you know seattle i mm-hmm. wanted i wanted I, utah i wanted you know it was portland I, those are all those teams that the bulls played against were my favorite team those years yeah <laughs>
0: i mean i've been watching back through the last dance again um you know watched it when it came out originally and i've just been kind of going back through just for fun because it's been long enough since march when it came out the first time that it's just it's some of it's new again and i find myself really wishing that some of these guys because i was big i was a big fan of charles barkley and reggie miller and those, that sonics team and i was like i really wish i, I I hated Utah. I never wanted them to win. But um, but some of these other teams I really was hoping that they looking back at some of those players that they would have gotten a title, you know. I was just but I was still at the time I was just too much into the Bulls to even care. So yeah, I was
1: Hugh, Reggie Miller was my favorite player for a couple seasons there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean there was a lot of teams. I mean I like the the Knicks when they're battling with Chicago. I really like Patrick Ewing a lot. I even like
0: John Starks. I I <laughs> I like that guy. I, I, I mean like, that that guy had, has a story. If you want to talk yo, about somebody yeah. who worked their way up into the league, I hated him oh. at the time because once again, Bulls fan got to hate the Knicks. But yeah, but as an, your, as an adult, I respect him. Yeah, if
1: he's on your team, that's your that he's a fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, he's he's awesome. But I hated him when they played at the Pacers because I was such a big Reggie guy, um, and they didn't like each other. Mm-hmm,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's bring it back to the Wolves. They've got their their veteran free agency camps coming in. And the, the number one guy that impresses, and this should come as no surprise to anybody that's been following the Wolves, was Sam Mitchell. He comes in right away. Uh, he had played for Houston's summer team at the Midwest Review a few years back, and he played well enough that uh, their head coach, Bill Fish, Fitch, told him to actually find a place to live. And uh, luckily he didn't, because he ended up getting cut before the season started. Um, so that was kind of a, a shady deal that he got there. But then he spends one year in France, two years in the CBA, including one with Musselman. Um, before getting a chance to come try out for the Wolves, and he was so impressive in their camps and in the Med- Midwest Review that Musselman said, "This guy's a board- no borderline player. He can help us immediately." So yeah, another
1: guy that scratched and clawed his way mm-hmm. into the league. I mean, he he actually joined the army after college, went to boot camp at Fort Bragg, and then got drafted and left the army to go, <laughs> you know, join the Houston Rockets before eventually being cut. But Um, you know, just a hard nose, like tough guy. Obviously we, I mean, everybody knows who Sam is now, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could see why he is the way he is because he had to fight for everything.
0: Yeah. And he ends up eventually being the Timberwolves first free agency signing July 23rd, right away. Uh, I take it back. If Sidney Lowe wasn't a restricted free agent he would have come over first, but since he didn't officially sign until they let him go, Sam Mitchell gets the honor of being the first official player to join the Timberwolves roster as a, as a free agent. So he signs July 23rd. Uh, we're making our way through the offseason. The Wolves still don't have any assistant coaches. Um, they're finally reported by the end of July to even be interviewing or looking for any, and the, actually the first name that's floated is Bill Musselman's son, Eric Musselman. So the long line of uh, coaches nepotism. hiring their sons nepotism <laughs> with the timberwolves started immediately eric doesn't actually get a job he stays in the cba but um but yeah he was all, the first name all of was kids. eric then he had to
1: be just a kid like 27 28 somewhere in there probably
0: he's 56 yeah. now he was born in 64 so at this time he's not even 25 20, he's 24 20, yeah, yeah but he's a head coach in the cba and they were rumored that he's going to bring on. so he wasn't going to be like the lead assistant on the team they were, were going to bring him on as a third assistant and just kind of be like a, a video coordinator type guy. Sure, but, sure. Um, just greasing in. the
1: wheels for down the road, yeah.
0: Yeah, a, a Ryan Saunders-like role, if you will. Right. Um, and now we're back to our good friend, Sidney Lowe, because Charlotte, yay, they decided not to match the offer. Congratulations, Sidney Lowe. You're with Bill Musselman again.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and these guys that played for us who had that sort of grit and grind to their, their personalities, like Sidney Lowe and Sam Mitchell... They really liked Musselman, mm-hmm. you know. Like I mean, Sam had a quote where he said, "If Bill Musselman told me to run through that wall, I would, because I trusted that if he points to the spot on that wall, it's a soft spot. And he was never going to put me <laughs> in a situation to fail, you know." And that, I mean, these guys were dedicated, you know. And and it kind of brings me back to what your comment about that Musselman had um, about one of the bigs was uh, the second round pick. Oh, yeah. kind of his name Leonard, right? Yep, Gary Leonard. Gary Leonard. They said if he he'll either make it or he'll break them, you know, and that's the guys he broke. I'm sure they don't have a lot of good things to say about <laughs> us, but the few that were able to be tough enough to, to stick it out. I mean, you know, Sam said it, you'd run through a wall for him. Yeah.
0: I mean, what was that quote we brought up by Stein? It was when he was looking at Musselman to be the head coach, everybody said either Musselman was a great coach and, or he was a great coach, but everybody to a T said he was a great coach one way or another. And it's either, you didn't like how he went about his business or you didn't like what his eventual goals were, but in teaching guys the game and getting guys to win, that's, that's what he was out there for.
1: He was a, a guy's guy.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> As Mike Tyson would say, he's a tough guy. From a tough guy <laughs> so they're, they're adding a few free agents. They're filling out the roster. They're eventually going to have to cut some guys because now they're over the, 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 the roster limit, but they still haven't signed any of their, their rookies and the starting to get a little uh, iffy here because now there's articles coming out that Pooh Richardson's getting offered uh, deals over in Italy to go play with a team called Il Messaggero, um, who had just also lured Danny Ferry over to Italy to not play with the Clippers, and he was actually the second pick in the draft. So uh, they're trying to lure as many American players over as possible who aren't necessarily under contract are who aren't happy with their contracts.
1: Yeah, and you wonder how much of that had to do with the, being the expansion team as well, where guys are like, uh, do I really want to go to this? expansion team where who knows how you know i mean it was uh, there was a chance that the team would fail and be out of the, you know be disbanded within mm-hmm. a few years who knows what would happen there's a lot of risk going to an expansion team so i can see and they're also going to probably try to take advantage of that a new team say hey i got this sweet deal over in italy so you better pay me you know kind well of that's thing.
0: the thing richard's being offered uh he uh, upwards of a million dollars a season to go over and play in Italy, which he's not going to get as a rookie in the NBA. So, sure, yeah. Um, the actual Raul Gardini, Giardini, Giardini? I'm, not Ita- I'm not Italian, I don't speak Italian, so somebody let me know if it's a soft G or a hard G in the, in this location, but it's uh, Raul Gardini, who's the head of the con- conglomerate, who's responsible for trying to lure these guys to Italy, is at the time said to be the Italian Donald Trump. So timely and relevant to our day-to-day.
1: <laughs> pooh dodge that bullet
0: yeah absolutely uh so pooh still hasn't signed he's getting these offers over in europe um we're now about two months away from training camp so it's still time to figure that out that one out but not only is pooh but leonard and doug west also haven't signed rookie contracts and it doesn't go doesn't seem to go quite as quickly as we're, we're used to in the nba now We're within a matter of days guys are signing their contract going to play in summer leagues and uh, getting out in the court and getting trained so Um, We're moving into August. Uh, Trent Tucker officially resigns with the Knicks. So that dream is dead. Uh, It never really got anywhere. I know that the Wolves had one conversation with him and he had expressed interest in possibly playing for the team. But the Knicks really wanted him back. And the Wolves, he was a little bit older. You know, like we talked about earlier, uh, Campbell was going to be the main target because his timeline kind of fit with what the Wolves were looking at. And Tucker wasn't necessarily the the perfect fit although his shooting would have been nice on the team
1: yeah he would have been the still the number one option i'm sure yeah had he been the guy but
0: for a much shorter period of time trent tucker eventually became the the color commentator for the the timberwolves after he retires and my favorite trent tucker quote is that uh typically the team with the most points at the end of the game wins and <laughs> i 100 percent to this day believe he said that completely serious and not in jest at all so uh I, I remember watching and just staring at the screen for a good amount of time because trent tucker was one of a kind
1: <laughs> i kind of miss him though cause i listen to on the radio every once in a while saturday <sighs> mornings um driving my son to karate or basketball practice yeah. or whatever other
0: he does a K fan, doesn't he
1: yeah he's got he's on with dave sinekin saturday mornings and um his voice is like one of those voices whether or not you know Regardless of what he's talking about, he he's just got one of those voices because I grew up with it. Yeah, you know, it throws it you back. It's very nostalgic. Yeah it's, yeah, it's like John Madden's voice or you know anything like that where you just it's like I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a comfort. He's comfort food.
0: Yeah, I miss Trent Tucker. I mean, I I love Jim Pete, and I wouldn't trade. Yeah, him yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trade yeah. him for anybody in the league, but just kind of the nostalgia. Nostalgia of it is just right, kind right. of more comforting, like a chocolate chip cookie and a teddy bear. Right, and yeah. you know Trent he worked a little bit with
1: Harlan who's yep. my all-time favorite um play-by-play guy but yeah we have the the best team in the league right now with um with Ben's and, and Jim and Pete. Peterson yeah yep. yeah I, league
0: pass is kind of a mess trying to go to any other teams uh, yeah i more. always
1: try to listen to the other broadcasters cuz i want to hear what other broadcasts talk about our players and yeah, i just it's like every time i'm like man we are lucky to have Mm -hmm. The guys we got doing our games because some of these guys are hard to listen to.
0: All right. So we're into August. Like we said, Tucker resigns Uh, expansion draft pick. Mark Davis chooses to go to Spain because he couldn't get a guarantee from the wolves that he would uh, even get any guaranteed money out of them. So um, he chooses to, he's one of the the first players to go. The roster's getting whittled down a little bit. Uh, 11 is down to 10. Guther Banky decides to stay in, in Germany. Uh, so he, we're down to, to nine players in the expansion draft by this point. Todd Murphy, uh, one of the guys that had come in for the offseason camps, um, and we've talked about it a few times now, he wants to stay. He's getting offers from Europe, but he says in order to stay and try out for the team, he'd need a small guarantee. All he's looking for is twenty five to 30000 as a guarantee to kind of stick around and give it a shot. Um, so it sounds like he really wants to make that work. It's, it's not it should be something that hopefully the Wolves can work out. And uh, we finally get to the point where the wolves are interviewing uh, assistant coaches. Um, the first is a uh, Harvard assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, Tom Thibodeau. And uh, Milwaukee No, he's well, you haven't heard of Tom Thibodeau with a an, an X at the name, end of his name, which is how it was spelled in the Star Tribune the very first time it came up. So, um, so maybe he was going under a, a false identity, or he, he changed his name to be have more universal appeal after he became famous. But. Uh, <laughs> So he'd he'd actually been working with Musselman through all of the the summer camps, um, not as an official Timberwolves employee, but just kind of helping out. And they were going to give him a, they were interviewing him for a chance as kind of the second assistant. It's reported that Steve Alford at this time turned down a free agent offer from the Timberwolves. I don't know a lot about Steve Alford, but he was another target that they had apparently because he turned him down. Uh, Jim Clemens uh, was approached. Jim Clemens the assistant coach who ends up going to the bulls was approached by the wolves to join their coaching staff i think he kind of made the right choice there because he was with the championship teams in the 90s with the bulls um musselman says that his son eric is still a candidate to be the team's third assistant to do all the dirty work quote unquote <laughs> um, uh eric white one of the other uh, expansion draft is not expected an invite to training camp so he's the third guy who's now out uh, and then august 16th Todd Murphy. He actually gets his contract. He signs a two-year deal. I'm sure it's not fully guaranteed. He gets a little guarantee to come in and try out for the team, but uh, he signs on to stick around and try out for the team. So uh, Murphy had played with Spain the previous season and had played with Musselman for the Patroons earlier as well. So lots of guys from this Patroons team coming back.
1: Yeah, and I didn't find much on Murphy about his feelings towards Moss, but I think it's safe to assume he was a must guy if he was willing to stick around for a guarantee of twenty five or thirty thousand dollars he you know, to forego playing back in Spain. I'm sure he must have been fond of Muss.
0: Yeah, he got to play in one game with the Clippers in eighty seven before being cut and joining the patroons. But then when he got a chance to go back to the NBA with the Warriors on a ten day contract later in the season, he said no because he wanted to stay with Muss and win the championship for Albany. So Oh wow, well, so uh, there you have it. Yeah, he got a, a chance to go up and achieve his nba dream a second time and he was just having too much fun so august 21st gary leonard becomes the first ever draft pick to sign a contract with the wolves he agrees to a three-year deal um, and that brings uh, the roster to 12 players at this point we have rick Mahorn, tyrone corbin steve johnson brad lowhouse scott roth david rivers shelton jones sam mitchell Sidney Lowe, todd murphy and mike whitmarsh and the wolves officially hire tom thibodeau as their first ever assistant coach he's responsible for advanced scouting and player improvement programs
1: and Sporting, a uh, sweet mullet.
0: I would bring that back if I could.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you could pull it off like Tibbs, but...
0: Nobody can pull it off like Tibbs.
1: Get some Zubas,
0: throw that mullet on. Speaking of the last dance, I would wear almost any outfit from the early 90s that those guys are rocking. The Zubas, the track suits, anything. It's it's all coming back in style, the, man.
1: The, the sweet square Oakleys that um, Pat Mahomes is bringing back. Sure would. On. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, at this point, they finally agree on uh, money with Pooh. They hadn't signed it officially because they're just working out the crossing the Ts and dotting the I's. But expected to be between 2.5 and 2.8 million over four years, so a pretty good deal for for rookie Pooh Richardson coming into the Timberwolves. So he's not going to Europe. Thank goodness. If anything could have started worse, the Timberwolves, that would have been it.
1: Yeah, right. Your first your first ever draft pick leaves to go to play Mm -hmm. overseas.
0: We're getting into September, but another former Muscleman acolyte is now rumored to be available via trade in the NBA. Uh, Randy Brewer's agent has requested a trade due to lack of expected playing time, and the Bucks coach Del Harris actually uh, fires back into the paper saying that he believes it's tampering because his agent, Don Desjardins, used to work with Bob Stein, and Stein had been uh, calling and offering uh, absolutely nothing for Brewer. So um, they, they, he felt that Desjardins and stein had been working together to try to lure brewer over to the timberwolves and he was a, one of the higher paid guys right
1: wasn't he isn't that part of the reason why he was being rumored because
0: well during come leading up to the expansion draft yeah they were saying that he was, it was possible that he might be left unprotected because he had lost playing time and he had a higher contract yeah, he was like so, a million dollar a year guy or yeah. something yeah yeah so i'm not sure at this point if the if the wolves had shown official interest or you know public interest but Del Harris definitely isn't happy that the, the Wolves behind the scenes might be making a play there. Uh, Donald Royal, who we mentioned earlier from the camps in the Middard's Review, he officially signs a contract on September 12th. He's a 6'8", 210-pound forward, came from Notre Dame, drafted by Cleveland in the third round in 87, but he was waived before the season started. Um, didn't really show back up much until he got this chance with the Timberwolves as a veteran free agent. Uh, Musselman said, Royal can play. He doesn't care who it's against. He'll go to the hole against anybody. He took it to the hole against David Robinson in San Antonio, and he took it to the hole against Ewing in New York and everybody else. He has he really played well. So um, Musselman just became a fan of his throughout training camp and the preseason, and Don Royal ends up being one of the, the third guy on that kind of that list of offseason tryouts, and that really made a name for himself. Yeah, it seems like he,
1: you know, once, once he got some time with these guys – they became the favorites to make the team because he wasn't, you know, he already built a rapport with Mm -hmm. them. He he was able to coach them up a little bit. Um, so yeah, they definitely had an advantage if they played for him during that sort of exhibition.
0: Right. So September 13th, it's been two months, but Tony Campbell finally pops back up into the news and lo and behold, he signs with the Timberwolves for four years, at about 700,000 a year. He'd been making about 270,000 a year with the Lakers before. So a a nice big pay raise for him. He's going to get the minutes. Um, there had been a long back and forth and, you know, lots of risk and rumors about him not actually joining the team, especially with the, the quotes that came out from Stein and his agent. But he popped his head into Musselman's office after the, the introductory press conference and said, did you have any doubts that this is where I wanted to be? And Musselman said, no, Tony, I know this is where you wanted to be. So just another guy that was a diehard Musselman fan.
1: Yeah. And he, uh from the get-go, you know, must made Campbell know that it's your you're the go-to guy for this team. You're going to be the, you know, the one that's going to be our number one option. Mm-hmm.
0: So Tony Campbell's on the roster. They finally have their scoring wing a uh, little bit crowded at small forward at this point. Looking with Tyrone Corbin and and Tony Campbell and some of the and other And they're,
1: they're probably your two strongest players. You know, yep, Corbin and Campbell, and they yeah they have a lot of similarities in terms of their size and you know their games are a little different. Tony's a pure scorer. Corbin's a little bit of a do everything kind of guy neither of them um, can shoot
0: though at this point that's true not you know right. almost no three-pointers even out of tony campbell who was known as a, a scoring guard at that point
1: right. yeah it's kind of crazy that tony campbell ends up being a top 10 scoring player in the nba with you no know, i mean especially for today's era mm-hmm. there's there's nobody in the top
0: 10 of scoring that doesn't hit at least shoot, three,
1: right? three's a game or something
0: yeah so Campbell joins the roster. They do hire a top assistant. Mark Zafaletto becomes Musselman's top assistant. He had been with the Bucks previously in Golden State before that. Uh, other candidates, like I said, have been Matt Calvin and then Lee Rose. I don't know who those guys are, but wanted to bring them up in case you, my precious listener, does and you wanted to hear their name mentioned. Uh, September 21st, for the first time since July, rumors start swirling about Rick Mahorn possibly being available via trade. Um, different offers are coming in. Philadelphia is offering a 1990 first-round pick along with a player. The Lakers offering two first-round picks, a player and a second. Um, but Minnesota at this time is still rebuffing any and all offers. Chicago, Seattle, Washington also interested. Um, then the Lakers are also mentioned also be interested in Steve Johnson, who was the second overall pick in the expansion draft for the Wolves. So, um, so it's, it's, just,
1: it's kind of crazy if that is a real trade which i mean i saw several stories on it mm-hmm. the lakers were willing to give up their number one pick in 1990 and their number one pick in 92 and a second round pick in 92 as well as a player mark mcmara but yeah. that's a lot for an expansion team for a guy that doesn't want to play there anyway i mean they, the wolves must have thought they they were going to be able to call mahorns bluff and eventually get him to you know show mm-hmm. up it wasn't even they weren't even looking for him to sign they wanted him to play out the deal he had he wanted a new deal um yeah, yeah well that's it, the
0: thing we haven't mentioned yet is that Rick Mahorn at this point is saying that he wants a new contract his agent comes out and confirms that they've requested a renegotiation um and Stein says that they don't re- renegotiate with anybody until they've actually come and came and played for the Timberwolves and they see how they do for them and uh, Mahorn feels like he's earned it he feels like he, his reputation preceded him and with the money he lost leaving Detroit he's he's uh he's ready at this point to to sit out and he actually files. A retirement paperwork within national basketball players association so that he can call him and say send it in if uh, if he doesn't get what he wants so he's trying to play hardball at this point
1: yeah and i think this is the first big mistake that stein makes you know he is a former nfl player and a player agent I, I don't think he really recognized the value of first round picks to a young team um and you know he wanted the the veteran player in mahorn and you know ha- like who knows what that future would look like for the wolves had they had two additional first round picks over the coming two or three years mm-hmm. you know to kind of build around
0: well stein was asked about that a lot and he said they they did value picks but they didn't believe that the lakers picks would have been early enough to have been valuable and he predicted that they would stay just as good as they were and you know have the 27th 26th 27th pick in the draft every year and he didn't find that as valuable as some of the offers that he felt he could get later so uh, whether or not that ends up becoming true uh, will be remain well, to be it's... seen as the seasons go on here. But so Doug West finally agrees to his deal. So all the rookies are signed. But October third rolls around. We're almost at training camp, and the Lakers officially pull out of the Mahorn bidding. Um, and they say that it's kind of a, a Pat Riley move that we're very used to now in Miami, where if they don't get something done before training camp, they're out. They're not gonna they're not gonna touch it. They're not gonna move forward, and they're not gonna be involved in that during the season, and placing uh, uncertainty over their team. So. Um, October 4th, veterans are expected for physicals and not only Mahorn, but, uh, Johnson and Tyrone Corbin also decide not to show up because they all want their, their contracts renegotiated as well. So at this point, their top three picks in the expansion draft are all not showing up for training camp. Uh, Johnson on his own, Mahorn and Corbin have the same agent. So they're kind of being used, uh, together to kind of negotiate at the same time. Uh, but not the best start for our Timberwolves as they try to kick off their very first season. Yeah,
1: and, and you still don't have a lot of experience on the team you got. You know, you have a couple guys who have been in the league but played marginal roles, and still looking just looking for an identity for this team.
0: Yeah, they're going to need somebody to step up because they have, have got some some weak positions and some strong positions, and the strong positions are going to become even weaker as well if they don't have they got those guys coming into the the team. So. Uh, the weakest position heading into training camp is shooting guard and that all depends on how good doug west can be because even tony campbell isn't a true shooting guard he's more of a small forward so they're gonna have to force fit him into that role um, and the strongest position as we've talked about was expected to be small forward with corbin if he shows up campbell and sam mitchell so they got those three guys really uh, locking down that position which um actually ends up being you know would end up being a very strong position for them because, with those guys because it, not only at this point but moving forward into the future those are three very strong players who end up making names for themselves throughout the league so um, power forward could be a weakness if they lose Mahorn they they mentioned that they might have to slide Mitchell to power forward um, and only two days into camp on October 6th Mahorn holds a press conference in Detroit to just publicly air his grievances and say how he's been mistreated by the Timberwolves Um, and Stein supposedly threatened to sue Mahorn and his agent for any losses that they occur while he's holding out so it's all just off to a a great start here with between Bob Stein and some of these players which he gets kind of uh he gets kind of killed for later by guys like Roycey and uh, Barrero and the Star Trib just saying you know Orlando's out there walking their best players around paying them what they deserve making them happy and just kind of starting off as good as possible while Minnesota is just trying to nickel and dime and teams that aren't willing to spend, teams that are trying to be nickel pinchers through their entire existence, just always stay at the bottom of the league, which I don't know if you want to say that that's all bad about how they were treating this thing because, like you said, you don't want to be shown that if you say something, you're going to go back on your word. But they should have figured this out immediately after the expansion draft and not let this hang over until until training camp.
1: Well, and if, if the rumors were true that they were interested in a guy like Randy Brewer who was making – a lot of money, mm-hmm. then I, it's hard to, it's hard to blame money being the issue. It, it, I, it almost sounds to me like it was more of a principle thing with Stein that he just, he couldn't deal with the, I mean, he was an agent. So now he's having to negotiate with other agents and it's a little bit different than negotiating with, you know, teams. Yeah. And so he's dealing with other guys like him and, and it's becomes a sort of a, you know, a standoff, mm-hmm. each well, one of these
0: yeah, and it absolutely was not a money thing because at this point, they're still $2 million below the minimum salary that they need for their team. And their minimum salary is even $2 million below other teams. So they have a salary you know, in the low $3 million figure for their entire team. They need so to get up to 5.285 before the season ends.
1: Yep. So it makes me wonder if Mahorn just showed up and you know started going to training camp and, and everything, if they could have worked out a deal, if he just would have shown good faith and show up. Um, but Stein's probably not going to tell him that. You know, he, Stein wants him to to follow his his guidelines, follow his rules, and mm-hmm. do what he's already signed up to do. Which, you know, and yeah, you know, so it's it just kind of becomes a, a macho thing. Who, yeah, who's it gonna, was a
0: game of chicken. Yep, who's going to blink first? The only think. person I found that was quoted for saying that uh, that Stein was in the right for what he was doing was Gordon Gund, the owner of the Calves at the time. And who, who cares about what Gordon Gund thinks? Yeah, consider the source. Right, <laughs> we don't like Gordon Gund over here. But, uh, so they show up to training camp. Uh, Mahorin's out there making waves. Corbin still hasn't reported yet. He's making an estimated 300,000 as opposed to Mahorn's 650. So you can understand that maybe he wants to raise a little bit more, but also at the same time, that's the contract he had with Phoenix and they let him go into the expansion draft. So, uh, you can understand it on both sides. Um, Corbin at the time says it's hard knowing that he'll be one of the lowest-paid starting forwards in the league. In which case, McKinney comes out and said that's a big assumption that he's making that he'll be a starter. Um, so they're they're kind of playing tit for tat in the in the newspaper at this point, which I don't think I'm so used to as much anymore. I know stuff gets out in Twitter, but the, the official reported quotes just aren't quite as uh, yeah.
1: They actually tithy. make that, yeah,
0: they yeah. make
1: the and they stick. They put their name on it. Yeah, they're not, it's not a source says. It's, I know it's, McKinney said this.
0: <laughs> So they got these guys out. Three of them are out. Uh, their top three expansion picks. They sign a guy named Jim Thomas to a two-year con- two-year contract, bringing their their roster to nineteen out of a maximum twenty, uh, and then they rounded out at a f- even twenty by signing peter Goodmanson. Uh, peter Goodmanson will not get brought back up until I mention that he's been cut by the team. So don't uh, worry yourself about memorizing his name. Uh, on the first day of camp, Campbell Tony Campbell comes out says we're building a family here. while well, they got three guys holding out, so. Uh, Everything just feels very too familiar with what's going on with present-day Wolves and the Bahamas trip and making sure that it's a family, you know, family lifestyle and environment and it just never, it's the same. It's it's professional sports and there are canned quotes all over the place and you got to say, you know, that you're building up the relationships and they're, you know, that type of thing, but...
1: Campbell did have a, a quote that I found that was pretty prophetic, though. He did say, you know, it, it doesn't sound pretty, Campbell said, but I guarantee you will surprise some people. Bill Musselman will never let us quit. We'll win some games just because we outwork people. Mm-hmm. You know, And so that work ethic and that grind and that, you know, just sort of feisty play was already starting to materialize in camp. And um, so I think Musselman was laying the groundwork for the type of personality that this team, that he wanted this team to
0: have. Yeah. You know, so with Mahorn, Johnson, and Corbin all still absent, one of the players that's being talked about is one of the team's most important players is Scott Roth, who was also taken in the expansion draft. He's a 6'8 forward, only 212 pounds, so he doesn't have a lot of weight, but plays bigger than his size. Came from University of Wisconsin. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Spurs in 85, also spent time with the Jazz in 88. Um, He'd been back with uh, the Spurs since January 13th of 89, so only about half a season before he got taken by the Wolves in the expansion draft. So um, another guy that... Didn't have a long history, but, you know, he really came in and seized the opportunity that that showed up for him with other guys sitting out during this training camp and preseason process. Hey, a little bit of good news. Musselman says the biggest surprise of the camp has been Gary Leonard, their second round pick. He said Leonard has improved his offensive moves around the basket by at least 50%. So he's showing up a little bit, uh, at least for one week of his NBA career training camp in 1989. He was impressing a few people and uh by October 18th the Wolves were preparing for their first preseason season game ever against the Los Angeles Lakers without Mahorn, Corbin, or Johnson. So they're they're getting into it Chad. They're going to play some real games and they they're not looking complete at this point.
1: No, but yeah, guys who can sort of steal some of those positions if uh you know, if if Mahorn's not going to end up being on the team, and Corbin's not going to end up being on the team or Johnson's going to be on the team. There's there's starting spots available for you
0: guys. Yep. So they only get one preseason game this se- this this season. It's going to be that game against the Lakers in, in, uh, at the Metrodome. And they actually set a new exhibition game NBA record of attendance at 35,156 uh, for that game. They do lose by 10, um, but it's the largest crowd ever uh, for an exhibition game. And then while... The Wolves had one player with no NBA experience in the starting lineup, and one with only one game of NBA experience. The Lakers had the Lakers' starting five had a combined 3,382 NBA games under their belt, so it was a little bit of an un, unfair playing field at that point. And only what three rings at that point? Yeah, they're just kind of they didn't have to try that hard that night. Shelton Jones led the Wolves with uh, 16 points. Magic Johnson came out for the Lakers, somehow played the first 30 of 32 minutes or 30 of the first 32 minutes, finished with 21 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. I don't know if he was just trying to put on a show for the Minnesota crowd.
1: Yeah, they must have been doing us a favor, like Minneapolis fans mm-hmm. a favor, you know, showcasing Magic. I mean, I'm sure Magic barely broke
0: a sweat. Yeah, didn't have to try that game. I mean, they were down, down the Wolves were down by 21 when Magic left the game, uh, and down 96-79 with 2.55 left, but they actually called their way back to being down 6 with 32 seconds left, but uh, couldn't quite get over that hump, but Showed a little bit of fight at the end, which I think we're very familiar with. Timberwolves teams making scores closer than they they should have been. Um, other notable performances from that game: Mitchell had 12 points and seven rebounds. Tony Campbell scored 14 points, but he went he shot six of 17 from the floor. Sydney Lowe went scoreless in 19 minutes, and Pooh played his first preseason game, scored five points in 16 minutes. So, uh, not a ton of overwhelming performances, but they got one under their belt. Chad first preseason game ever, and. Professional basketball was back, Minneapolis. Yep, first time since 1960. Uh, They're going to leave. Like I said, they only got that one game in the Minnesota. They're going to leave for a five-game road trip to kind of try to build fans uh, throughout the United States. No games in actual NBA cities, but they're going to play in Fargo, Green Bay, Sioux Falls, Lexington, Lexington, and New Haven. Jim Farmer, one of the players, comes out and says, what is a Fargo? (laughs) And it didn't really matter for him because he uh, got cut the next day along with Connor Henry and peter goodmanson so those three are out they're they're pairing down the roster a little bit they do sign uh adrian branch to fill one of those spots who had just previously been cut from the trailblazers he's a six seven one eighty five forward out of maryland um, but so they filled another spot there and they uh in between games mahorn's agent comes out and says that they've reached an agreement to play in italy so mahorn's planning on just uh taking off and going and playing there Stein says that he's going to sue Mahorn if he tries to play for any other team than the Timberwolves. Uh, so still more fun happening. The NBA has an agreement with Spanish teams to avoid these types of things, but no agreement exists in Italy about uh, Italy teams or Italian teams not signing NBA players under contract. So, um, Italy once again coming back into play, first trying to take Poo and now trying to take Mahorn and give him more uh, negotiating leverage. Was it a different team? I don't know. I'm not sure. Probably not. Probably Donald Trump again. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid Trump. So they, they come in for their second game. Uh, this time, the score is not so close. They lose 98-80 to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks get 21 points from uh, previously mentioned Randy Brewer, who scored 16 in the fourth quarter. Campbell has his best game of the preseason, scores 28 points and 7-13 of 13, uh, from the floor and 13-14 of 14 from the free throw line. Um, Shelton Jones, once again, has a good game, scores 17, has 11 rebounds, so Starting to make a little bit of a name for himself to see if he can earn a spot on the regular season roster. Um, the only other player in the team with double figures was Brad Lowhouse, who we mentioned was part of the expansion draft. You know, seven foot one, two thirty-five, and he bounced around a little bit because of his inability to play inside because of his slight frame. So he was more of an outside player, even though he was seven-one. So teams kept thinking that he was more of a low post center, and he just couldn't play that way. So that's why he hadn't really found a spot in the league despite his height. Yeah,
1: he was probably our best three point shooter on that roster.
0: <laughs> not not a lot of shooting on that team. Maybe Pooh, but not a lot of spacing, which Ryan Saunders would say is the most important thing in the NBA. Sydney well, only, yeah. and we, we were not playing positionless basketball back then. We <laughs> had very defined, you know,
1: spots like like Sam Mitchell. You know, was a sort of a tweener forward, and Campbell a you know shooting mm-hmm. guard slash small forward. But they definitely had positions that they wanted each of these guys to play. You're it telling me
0: they weren't ahead of the curve, right, Chad? we were not ahead of the curve. Dang it. Sydney Lowe once again goes scoreless, but this time he has nine assists. So he's kind of playing that uh point guard role that Musselman wants. Um uh, game three, October twenty first, three out of six. They lose to Milwaukee again, but this time they only lose by one point. Musselman starts showing signs of uh who is who he is as a coach, who he's always been and who he will prove to be again because he only plays eight players in this game for longer than one minute. The starting lineup played the entire first quarter, and Campbell Lowhouse and Sidney Lowe played the entire first half uh, to the point that even Lowe uh, got injured, uh, got bone spurs in his elbow due to a fall, so Pooh had to play the the entire second half. But um, Shelton Jones, who had been the team's second-leading scorer up to that point, didn't even play. And uh, the Wolves led 44-37 in the half and 54-41 midway through the third 71-62 Seventy-one, sixty-two, with seven minutes left, but they uh, ran out of steam and only scored five points the rest of the way to the fact that they didn't really even use a bench. So uh, classic Bill Musselman at this point. And shows where Tibbs got it. Mm-hmm. Poo, uh, fortunately, in that second half, uh, scores one point in 23 minutes. So stellar showing. I think six total points in three games out of Poo at this point. Uh, game four, October 23rd, the Wolves lose 108-91 to Kevin Johnson and the Phoenix Suns, Johnson has 22 points, 7 assists, 8 rebounds and 2 steals in 41 minutes. Uh I can't remember exactly where this game was. It was in another one of those cities where they're just possibly playing it up to the the non-NBA city fans and giving them a show. They did that a lot back
1: then where they the preseason games weren't in the actual yep. cities that the teams played.
0: So It's still surprising to see Kevin Johnson playing 41 minutes in a preseason game. Yeah,
1: that raised my eyebrows as well. It's like, well, maybe that was just sort of the thing to do back then. Mm -hmm. First, it was Magic playing the first 30 minutes out of 32. It's like, maybe these guys today are just a little bit too pampered. Mm -hmm. You got to get ready. You got to be ready for those big minutes. You you don't get nights off back in 1989. You know, on a back-to-back, you just play. You you know, I mean, today it's like... They were real men back then. That's right. Yeah. They probably walked to the the arena uphill both ways. They didn't have any uh, general
0: soreness labels coming out. What? He's our toughest guy. He sure is. He wakes up at three to play at four.
1: At least to film it with Mark Wahlberg <laughs>
0: for five minutes and then go back home. <laughs> anyway, in Game Four, Doug West got his biggest chance chance so far. He played sixteen minutes, scored twelve points, and five of six shooting uh tony campbell and scott roth both scored 17 points adrian branch comes out uh he's impressive with 16 points and the bench was expanded a little bit so they did use uh, 11 different players with 10 or more minutes so Musselman moved away it wasn't didn't become a a lifelong trend with the timberwolves at least in the preseason to only play eight players but um the wolves at this point are supposedly communicating with the agents of the three players holding out uh, but no uh no progress has been made the Wolves did offer to compensate Johnson for any of the playoff money he would have lost moving from Portland to Minnesota, but not to renegotiate the contract, and that at this point is not uh, what he's looking for. And I, I found an interesting note saying that the NBA at this point has promised to help the Wolves in any legal battle with Mahorn or the Italian ball club, and the senior vice president who was going to be working with them was Gary Bettman, who ends <laughs> up being the, the NHL commissioner. All right. So I, unless there's a second Gary Bettman. You think there's a second Gary Bettman? In sports, probably not. No, probably not. All right, I'm going with it. Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, <laughs> senior vice president. All, all these guys inter,
1: you know, interlock with each other. I mean, even Bill Stein's a football guy. He's
0: yeah. an NFL guy in the NBA. So, College Football Hall of Fame for Bill Stein or Bob Stein. Bill Stein. It's Bob Stein.
1: I <laughs> might have called him Bill.
0: <laughs> Come on, you're screwing My me up. i Bob. Yep. Sorry, Bob. So, uh, Game Five, victory at last. The Wolves beat the Charlotte Hornets 88-82 behind a game-high eighteen points from Donald Royal. Campbell scored eleven, but he shot two for twelve, so not, a, not another great shooting night from him. Mitchell had sixteen and six rebounds. He got to the line twelve times. Jim Thomas had ten points and four or five shooting. Roth scored ter- thirteen. Murphy had twelve. Uh, Pooh Richardson once again goes scoreless in twenty minutes. So, but the Timberwolves get their very first taste of victory in the NBA, a preseason victory of the Charlotte Hornets. Yay! Yay! So Mur- Revenge for Sidney Lowe. Maybe. There, take that. Sidney Lowe revenge game. Right. Game six of the final preseason game. They lose in overtime to the New York Knicks. Musselman doesn't want the guys to uh, celebrate close games, but uh, at this point he, he did sound a little bit more upbeat after this one. They lose 103-100. Uh, Campbell actually had a shot to win it in regulation, but it bounced away at the buzzer. Uh, Royal once again led all scorers with 25 points. Campbell added 22. Scott Roth scored 16. Played good defense on Ewing. Uh, Sam Mitchell had 16 points and 17 rebounds. Uh, and Pooh probably played his, his best game in the preseason, scoring four points, passing out five assists, and get, grabbing three rebounds. So um, they finished the preseason one and five. the The good the good points are probably Sam Mitchell, Tony Campbell, Roth, Royal, and Branch, all guys playing above their station, trying to uh, get on the roster and Probably the bad was the point guards. Lowell getting injured right away and not scoring before he did, and then Richard being, or Richardson being overall unimpressive. But we've made it through the preseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the expectations are, particularly for preseason. But yeah, you know, you're—it's an expansion team with you know guys that didn't start anywhere else in the league, many of which didn't even play anywhere else in the league. So one in five—I mean, I think you can call that a success. You, know, you had a close game with New York. I don't know. You know, it's not like you're gonna. It's not like the uh, NFL preseason where the Vikings can go four and all in the preseason and mm-hmm. then start off the season one and eight.
0: <laughs> well, I guarantee you this preseason was more successful than the Timberwolves' 2020 preseason. So they got that going for them. They at least got a win.
1: Yeah. Well, they played more too.
0: Yep. <laughs> they got six tries at. it. They got double the tries. <laughs> right. So we're almost to the regular season, Chad, and we're going to wrap this up here, but we still have three players holding out and there's just a lot of tension and a lot of uh, excitement to try to figure out what go- what's, what's going on. Do you think we should close it out and figure out what happens with some of these guys? I think so. All right, let's do it. Let's give it a, a few more minutes to our, our loyal listeners who have made it this far with us. So October 27th, the Wolves finally decide to trade Rick Mahorn to the 76ers. They've been sitting out, they've been sending jabs and barbs back and forth in the paper. They've been trying to threaten to sue each other, and they finally agree to a deal. And it's, it's going to require Mahorn uh, showing up to the Sixers and not actually signing that deal in Italy to, to make it official. But they agree to a deal for a 1990 first-round pick, a 1991 second-round pick, and a conditional 1992 second-round pick, which the Timberwolves will keep unless the 1991st is in the first five picks, which isn't really much of a threat at this point. Um Philly picked 19th in 1989, so the Wolves are hoping that the pick that they're getting is significantly better than the the first-rounders that the Lakers were, were offering, um, and they, they're hoping that Philly gets worse in a kind of a loaded Eastern Conference, and they possibly even miss the playoffs. Uh, the, and Musselman would have preferred to keep Mahorn, uh, but he's quite saying, but we got draft picks, and we're supposed to be building for the future. So it sounds like Musselman uh, at this whole time was kind of hoping to bring in a good player, rather than getting picks and and building for the long term, but uh, not necessarily his decision at this point.
1: No, and I think there's that's probably the best offer remaining. You know, I'm sure the Lakers offer. I know the Lakers offer was already pulled off the table, and other offers that you may have had all summer were probably pulled off the table by this mm-hmm. point too. So you only had you know a couple other offers to to sort
0: out. Yeah, Barrero writes in the paper after this deal is done, he said, if you're a seasoned ticket holder, you should swallow hard and be prepared to take some serious lumps. But it's worth remembering that even with Rick Mahorn dressed in a Timberwolves uniform, you would have taken some serious lumps. Now at least there's a purpose to your pain. October 30th, which is three days later, all of a sudden, Sid's reporting that Tyrone Corbin intends to join the team. And um, Corbin comes out and it says that he contacted the Timberwolves on his own and he kind of went around his agent because he was tired of being treated as a negotiation agent. pawn to try to get a a better deal for rick mahorn trying to hold him out too so um, he just goes straight to stein and says that as long as you promise to take care of me if i play well i'll I'll show up and and do my part so two guys are now taken care of Uh, tyrone corbin joining the team he's 6'6 210 pounds um, so he's coming in he was expected to be the starting small forward he played four years at DePaul, averaged 16 and 8 on 53 percent shooting as a senior and the most interesting thing i found about him was kind of the uh the transaction history on Basketball Reference, not only for him, but for the draft pick that became him. So on January 24th, 1983, the pick that became Tyrone Corbin was sent to the Chicago Bulls with an 83 second-round pick that became Sidney Lowe uh, as compensation for the Washington Bullets signing Ricky Sobers as a veteran free agent. So his pick's already included with the pick that becomes Sidney Lowe. And then in 84, his pick is traded again with Mitchell Wiggins, the father of Andrew Wiggins, um, to the Houston Rockets for Caldwell Jones, and then he's traded by the that pick is traded by the Houston Rockets with James Bailey to the San Antonio Spurs for John Lucas and a 1985 third round pick, which later became Sam Mitchell, and then he was finally Jeez. drafted by San Antonio. Um, so just so many Timberwolves connections connect- there, yeah. yeah. If they ever
1: change the team name, they should just change it to the Minnesota Ty Corbins.
0: Right. Six (laughs) Degrees of Tyrone Corbin apparently is the game we need to be playing because just even that pick was just insane on how many connections there were before he was even taken with it. Yeah. So he's he's drafted by the Spurs in the second round um, in 85. He was waived in 87. Eventually signs with uh, Cleveland. He's traded by the Cavaliers with Kevin Johnson, Mark West, and an 88 first round pick, which eventually became Dan Marley and an 88 second-round pick, which became Dean Garrett, and an 89 second-round pick, which became Greg Grant, to the Phoenix Suns for Larry Nance, Mike Sanders, and an 88 first-round pick, which became Randolph Keys. So not a good trade by Cleveland at that point. No. I
1: mean, Uh, Nance had his moments, but they gave away... They gave away Kevin
0: Johnson and Dan Marley in that trade, and that just... Yeah. The whole playoff team. <laughs> right. So eventually, and then we get up to Tim timberwolves he's, drafted, he's taken as the third overall selection in the expansion draft. Um, with Phoenix in eighty-eight, eighty-nine. his final year before Minnesota, he actually had an 11.8% offensive rebounding percentage, which is more of an advanced stat that not everybody's going to understand. But what it means is that of the available rebounds on the offensive end of the floor when he was playing, he grabbed 11.8% of them, which to put that in context, Carl Anthony Towns this year is grabbing 12.4% of available offensive rebounds. So as a six-six wing, Tyrone Corbin was rebounding on the offensive end of the floor like a center. So um, that was really what he was known for. How he made his name, um, and he, you know, he'd only been aver- you know averaging eight points and five rebounds, but that that offensive rebounding was really uh, where the the effort and the the gumption came from, and where he uh, got his reputation.
1: Yeah, and he I mean, he was a steals guy. Um, he you know just a little bit of a utility infielder, kind of could do a little bit of everything at at a fairly high level.
0: Maybe the most well-rounded player that the wolves have been at this point mm-hmm. so the wolves are put in a tough spot with uh with corbin coming left because it just means they have to cut one more guy they make their final cuts of the offseason david rivers jim thomas shelton jones who had been their second leading scorer through pre scorer through two preseason games and mike whitmarsh both uh or all cut they're the final four guys out which leaves them with a roster of uh, Sidney Lowe and pooh richardson at point guard doug west and tony campbell at Shooting guard Adrian Branch, Tyrone Corbin, Sam Mitchell, Donald Royal as small forward, Scott Roth, Todd Murphy, at a power forward, and Gary Leonard and Brad Lowhouse at center with uh, Steve Johnson now entering the suspension list because he's still refusing to show up and waiting for a new contract. But it's the day before the season's about to start. Chad, we've made it to the end, and uh, that was the very first off season for the Minnesota Timberwolves. How you feeling about it? Uh, I got a migraine from it. That's a lot of turmoil <laughs> that was that was a i if you you feel that way, imagine how uh, Bob Stein was feeling at the time, yeah,
1: all everybody involved I mean it wasn't uh it wasn't a smooth off season for for muscleman it wasn't a smooth off season for i mean, I'm sure Tony Campbell would
0: have liked a little mm-hmm. less drama
1: um you know lots of lots of things up in the air for those guys,
0: yeah, so we're gonna move on. The wolves are entering the uh Their first official regular season ever, uh, due to holdouts for the team's five expected starters, played in the CBA with Bill Musselman at one time or another. They're going to open the season in Seattle on November 3rd, following by Portland on the 5th, and have their very first home game ever against the Chicago Bulls on November 8th, Uh, which I I found uh, a note saying that it sounded great, but it actually is going to cost the team money because they would have sold out their very first home game ever anyway, and they would have liked to have saved that Chicago Bulls game for later in the season when Uh, They could have brought in fans to to see Michael Jordan. But um, the Wolves are opening the season at 5,000 to 1 to win the NBA championship. Probably not a bet I would have even placed a dollar on. I don't don't see how that's going to turn out that well, but uh, we're coming up on it. But anyway, we'll be back in uh, a couple weeks. We are going to find a Timberwolves game from the very first season on YouTube. We're going to watch it together, and we're going to talk about the style of basketball. We're going to talk about who impressed us the most and just uh, see what kind of observations we can take away. And we'll, we'll bring that back here in a couple weeks for our next, next historical episode. Um, I believe that that very first game against the Chicago Bulls is available. So that's what we're going to sh- target. That's what we're going to shoot for. Um, hopefully that's a lot of fun, and hopefully we can uh, bring that in and really uh, relay it to you in an audio format for, for what that felt like watching the, the Timberwolves of 1989. Chad, thanks for joining me again. No problem, man. It was fun. Yeah, I hope you have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Right, peace. See ya.